Hello and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where you and I are both on a mission to figure out what it means for us to prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships while we make our biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. If this is your very first episode, I always like to take the time to welcome you and tell you how excited I am that you are hanging out with us today. And if you're returning, I always want to say how much I appreciate you for coming back week after week to listen to all this incredible content and the interviews from the guests that are coming on the show. And today we are going to be learning from someone that has created a massive success in the traditional sense, but also from what it meant for him personally. This is a mind-blowing interview with the one, the only Mr. Steve Sims. Here's a question for you. Do you know anyone that's worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk, sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed, or closed museums in Florence for a private dinner party and then had Andrea Borcelli serenade them while they sat and ate their pasta? You don't? Well, you do now. (laughs) Quoted as the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, Steve Sims is the best-selling author of Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. He is also a sought-after coach and a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard, twice. If you can't already tell from that bio, this is a fun and crazy and exciting episode. But as always, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, Steve's biggest insights on how he makes the impossible possible. And just so you know, some of the stuff that Steve has been able to do, here's a small sample of what he's done outside of what you just heard from his bio. So he's helped a couple get married at the Vatican by the Pope himself. He's helped his clients to watch Formula One in Monaco with royalty. He's helped people to play drums with Guns N' Roses singer Matt Sorum, be James Bond for a weekend, sing on stage with Journey. And I think saying a small list is an understatement. This is literally a small sample of what Steve has been able to make happen for his clients. So we're going to deconstruct all that good stuff. Number two, I want you to look out for why, despite all of those incredible things that Steve has been able to do for his clients, and despite the fact that the experiences that he puts together often generate invoices for hundreds of thousands together, one of his favorite experiences he's ever done for a client cost only around $1,700. And number three, and I think this is the most important how Steve has been able to make all of these impossible things happen despite the fact that he grew up as a bricklayer in London. So this guy wasn't handed anything. He's been able to do all this himself. This interview absolutely blew my mind. I've already listened to it multiple times before it's even coming out. So I don't ever do this, but I'm actually going to cheat and give a fourth thing that I want you to look out for, which I would say is probably my favorite part of the interview. So let me just back up and say that the goal of this is that I wanted to make it super tactical and realistic for you. Maybe you were listening to some of those things that Steve has been able to do and thought there's no way. Like, how could you even possibly do that? So I thought that myself. So what I wanted to do is something that I've never heard Steve do on any other podcast or even in his book, but I wanted to break down actually step-by-step how he went from knowing nobody in Italy to shutting down the academia for a private viewing of David's Michelangelo. And then if that wasn't enough already, he brought in Andrea Borcelli and had his clients serenaded while they were chewing on their pasta and sitting inside of Florence and watching the David. So 
you'll actually get a behind the scenes look into Steve's brain and how you can make the impossible happen starting from not knowing even where to begin to actually making it happen. So all that to look forward to in this episode. And as always, I want to give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Dane Carter, who left a review saying, fantastic energy. This is a high energy podcast with great guests, wonderful stories with exceptional teaching and learning moments. Every entrepreneur should listen. So thank you so much for the kind words, Dane Carter. And if you're listening to my voice right now, you're a returning listener and you haven't left a review yet. What you can do is you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash 7FM. That's ratethispodcast.com slash 7FM. And it's going to show you exactly how to leave a review depending on what device you're listening to me on right now. And if you choose to do that, not only will it make my day, but it's going to help other people to discover the show as well. So With all that said, this conversation was a paradigm shift for me, and I know that it will be for you. And the best part to top this all off is that Steve actually agreed to do a part two to this interview. And so next week, you'll get to listen to the part two of this and expand on even more of Steve's incredible wisdom that he's learned from working with all these incredible people and putting together game-changing experiences for people. So please enjoy this incredible conversation with my friend, Steve Sims. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Mr. Steve Sims, welcome to the show, my friend. Super excited to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. And I want to, first of all, publicly thank Jules Duncan for making this happen because she attended one of your speakeasies. She listens to these, so I'm recording this for conversation as much for Jules as everybody else. But she attended one of your speakeasies, connected me to your son and business partner, Henry. And I was texting Jules right before I hit record. And I was like, I, I talked to Steve in about an hour, you know, what, what, anything that you want me to say. And what she said to me, she said, I met Steve on my birthday and I asked him what his favorite blue fishing experience was. And his answer is the reason I attended his events and is now in his coaching program. I love the guy a thousand percent. He's an incredibly wow. effective coach and he's a human with a big heart and helps people realize their own worth. So that is exciting. And I made a guess as to what that story was. So we'll, we'll see where this goes, but everybody knows from the bio, you've helped people to take submarine trips to the Titanic, be James Bond for a weekend, play drums with gun roses, all that crazy stuff. But from what my guess was, what your favorite was from what I came across the research was nothing that extravagant, but it's rather more of like a a heart tugger one. So I would love for you to maybe start by kicking us off by telling the story about the 25th wedding anniversary of a client that you helped them with and a picnic that you helped re- recreate. Wow. Um, yeah. God, you went into a thick one. So most of the stuff <laughs> that I've done has ended up, you know, creating invoices for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, this one was for an existing client that we had probably spent maybe three quarters of a million dollars of his money on different experiences. This one ended up costing 1700 bucks <laughs> and it was, it was, it should have been cheaper than that, but we had looked after his anniversary and every anniversary we did something amazing. We did something in the Eiffel tower. We did something on, on a pile of diamonds. You know, every year we had done something 
that was kind of, you know, amazing, miraculous. Kind of, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. And then I remember him contacting me one day. And I think this is the first lesson for anyone listening to this is to bloody listen. Okay, <laughs> That's the skill set that we are losing today. So what someone says and what they want, desire, dream can be picked up in the tonality, the voice, you know, the quiver, all of those kind of things. Listen for that gold. And this guy contacted me. He said, hey, you know, it's the anniversary. You know, we've got to do something great. This one needs to create impact, Steve. And I, I'm trying to recreate how his voice fluttered, but it was very important to him that this one had to create impact. And that's the difference. If you want to wow someone, you know, get a marching band's coming out. If you want to create impact, go to the core. Go to where that little button is that makes them quiver. And so I said to him, okay, you know, we, we got chatting. And when he spoke about his wife and how they met and blah, blah, all of this started to happen. And we ended up coming back to, you know, ground zero, the first day that they met. And he told me about how he was constantly flirting with her badly, like everyone does. Um, and he then threw, threw a, a, a Hail Mary and he knew where she was at college and on the, uh, the park ground, on the grass, just outside where she would come out, he borrowed his mum's picnic rug, picnic hamper, the boom box. And then as she came out from her class, he hit play with some kind of like, you know, old, old romantic tunes and pulled out a bottle of champagne that was, you know, like non-alcoholic champagne, knocked off the, the, the top and went, care to join me? And this was in front of all of her friends. So he'd made a complete ass of himself. And that's what did it. She was like, well, okay, if he's, if he's willing to be making enough of an ass of himself, I'll sit down and have a glass of really cheap, bad, non-alcoholic champagne. With <laughs> um, and she did that. So he was telling me this story. So I went, okay. You kind of gone past those days, but let's recreate it. So from old pictures of his family, we found the color scheme of the picnic rug, the hamper, even what the boom box looked like. And we recreated that moment. The downside was, this is why it became so expensive. We bought three boom boxes trying to find one that worked. And then when we found the one that worked, and you'll laugh at this, we didn't know how to record a cassette <laughs> because today all of the cables are different, aren't they? So we got it and we really chuffed ourselves. And then we thought, shit, how do we record it? You know? So we had to send the cassette away with a list of all of the tunes that he could remember that they used to listen to, to recreate this moment. Now we got to their house. We had the driver pick her up. And take her off. And of course, like she's used to, you know, private jets and yachts and all this kind of stuff and meeting Bruno Mars backstage. She's used to all of that. So she's trying to work out, hang on, I'm in my sweats. I'm casual. I'm being taken off in a limousine. Why? What's happening? You know? And then what we did was we had the car circle while we got to the park. Here's a dumb thing. You can't rent pro uh, uh, public parks. You can't rent them. You're not allowed to hold, you know, kind of like private events in a public park. So this is how you get over it. We had really attractive women because this is daft. Men are terrified of attractive women. <laughs> so we had these really attractive women walking dogs on really long leashes, circling 
where we were doing this picnic so that no one would come anywhere within. No, wait, hold on, hold on. Like actually like an unbroken chain of women with dogs around. Oh my God. I didn't realize that was a thing. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Cause the women won't let the guys go anywhere near the girls. Cause they're terrified of the competition and the guys are scared of talking to them. So they were, so this is what we did. And we were hiding behind, I was hiding behind one tree. One of my other team was hiding behind another tree. The client's sitting on the floor underneath this, this tree on the mat with the boom box, with the hamper, when the limousine pulls up to the curb. And the driver gets out of the limousine, pulls open the door. She steps out and he looks at her and he pulls the champagne, knocks off the top. Now, bear in mind, this is that 25th. So they've been together for like 30 something years. And he clicks the top off, hits the boom box. A bit of Alexander O'Neill comes on, which for any of you that remember, that was the romantic tunes of the time. He knocks off the top of the champagne and went, care to join me? And she hit the deck. She literally just lost it. She fell on her knees. And because out of everything they had ever done and all the money that they had lost and made, just like all entrepreneurs, the journey that they had been through, this was the most impactful moment for him to recreate, to show her how important the anniversaries were. She was blind. She was crying her eyes out. The poor driver, I do remember this. The driver's holding the door and he's like, what do I do? You know, she's <laughs> on the floor crying. So he helped her up and he, the, the, the husband ran over and picked her up and they walked over and they sat on this, pic, on this picnic rug. And the only reason it was as expensive as $1,700 was because we had to pay quite a bit of money to get the cassette recorded and we had to thry, buy three boom boxes. Otherwise, that thing's like a 200 bucks thing, you know, the, the hamper, the champagne. And, but the point was, we listened to the word impact. And that is still, out of the millions of dollars I've spent on making people more interesting, that is still one of those stories which still, you know, breaks me down to the goosebumps of how impactful it was. Love that. Man, such a good story. And there's so many places I want to go with this, but I, I have a, I want to condense this to a point where we can make sure that it's impactful. So I want to, everybody knows you have done these crazy experiences and we just heard that incredible experience, but I want to go right before we get into the whole blue fishing thing. And I would love for you to maybe start by telling us a story a little bit about before what you were up to by telling us a story about uh, being on Bond Street and your mom seeing a Gucci store across the across the street. What what did that have to do with you turning into the oh. Steve Sims that we know today? <laughs> I did. I didn't realize how much it 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 did actually alter my my trajectory, which was kind of kind of weird. And recently, I was in London and I was on that curb. I actually took a video of me on that curb looking at the store. See, I grew up in East London, and it was a rough neighborhood. If you weren't around the neighborhood, you didn't you didn't go around there at nighttime. You know, it was as simple as that. It was like any other kind of like gritty outskirts of a city kind of thing. But, you know, that's where I grew up. That was where my family from, you know, we always used to, you know, at the age of 13, hang out down the pub, you know, I know we shouldn't have, but Hey, that's, that's how it was those days. And my mum, we never had any money. Um, my mum used to go window shopping where she would go into London on a Saturday afternoon with me in tow and just walk around all these shops, just looking in the window, never actually going in any, which I realized later on that I'd never actually seen the inside of any of these stores, just the outside. Um, and then I always used to go with her because at the end of her, she would bribe me by giving me a hamburger. Um, and of course that was a big thing for me. So <laughs> I remember one day 
we were walking up an area called Bond Street, and every planet, every city in the country, Bahanstrov, uh, Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue, Rodeo Drive, every major city has the the street where all the big shops were, you know, the big luxury brands. And we were on Bond Street, and that had all your Pradas, your Louis Vuitton, your Gucci's. And as we're walking up the street, my mum stopped on the opposite side of the road and was straining her neck to look in the window of the Gucci store that's still there today across the road. Now, as I say, I'm laboring on it. There was a complete road between us, but it was a Saturday and they used to block the traffic. So, you know, pedestrians could walk on it, but we were still on this curb. Now, as she's looking at this window, she's not even got close enough to the store to get a good look in the window. And so I thought, oh, we're going to look in that window. I stepped off the curb and she yanked my arm back with such ferocity that it hurt. I remember it hurting. And she looked at me and she went, we don't go in there. That's for other people. And she turned around and we walked away. Now, she saw Gucci. And this was a period in time in the, in the, in the 80s where they used to have these big doormen on the door just to make it a little bit more uh, um, you know, concerning or kind of like this race of all oh, the affluence are here and more intimidating uh, to into, uh, to affluence. Nowadays, you go into a Gucci and you're in a pair of sweatpants, you know, and the guy in the in the sneakers and the, the bad shorts probably, you know, owns a billion dollars, you know, that kind of stuff. But back then, affluence was a point of intimidation. I've got it. You haven't. And it, it intimidated her enough that she was too scared to even cross the street to look in the window. And as she walked away, for her, it was an intimidation point. For her, it was a monster of what she wasn't good enough to to go near. But as a young lad, I remember, and I do remember this, holding her hand as we're walking away, turning around, straining to look at what she had seen that had terrified her. For me, I saw a shop, and in the window were handbags. That's all I saw. I saw a handbag shop. Nothing intimidating, but it terrified her. And I always remember, what was her monster? What was she seeing that I couldn't? And I grew up thinking to myself, I ain't ever going to be scared of that. She is, and I can't understand it. And of course, as I got older, I I started to realize what she was terrified of. But I grew up as the curious, annoying Irish lad from East London that went into anywhere. I would go into any party. I would get backstage. You could go, hey, Steve, I bet you can't go backstage. Here you go. I'm going to make it happen. It just became, you know what entrepreneurs are like. As entrepreneurs, there's an old saying, how do you make an entrepreneur go bankrupt? You say, I bet you couldn't do that for $10. (laughs) And the entrepreneur will focus on the challenge, not on the 10 bucks. You know, Peter Diamandis built the entire X Prize exactly out of that. Um, But I wanted to constantly address what people were scared of. And as I grew up, I noticed that people were intimidated of like the doorman at a nightclub or a velvet rope or, you know, some kind of soy. So this is a private party, you know, just all of that kind of shit. I couldn't understand why people were intimidated of it. And then when I did realize why people were intimidated of it, I started selling that access. I Mm. gave them what they were scared of. Um, And without realizing it, I built one of the world's largest experiential concierge firms that did the kind of things that you talked about. But I will declare it was a Trojan horse. 
You see, I really didn't care about walking the red carpet at the Paris Fashion Week. For anyone that's ever seen me, I'm in a black T-shirt and jeans. You know, I'm a biker. I don't even have a car. I don't care about that stuff. But I did it because I could get billionaires on that carpet. And if I could get you somewhere that you were intimidated to be at, then I could grab your attention for a couple of hours. And just like this podcast, I could have a conversation with incredibly powerful people and eventually turn around and go, hey, Johnny, how come you're successful and I'm not? Or how come you're rich and I'm not? Or what are you working on that's going to make you your next million? And I could ask those very blunt, childish questions and shockingly get an answer. And that's what built me up to eventually release the book and start coaching people on how to do it. Yeah. So that segues us naturally into another thing that I think is really relevant. I love how you talked about your experiences and just being a kid, observing the front door, the power that that had to have a, a bouncer in front of the, the Gucci store. And then eventually you were able to kind of incorporate some of those elements into what you were able to do later. And one thing that I came across that you said that I thought was so profound is that the number one rule of a bouncer and a business person is to control your front door. And I think that this is something that sets us up for almost all the other stuff that you've done. So I would love for you to talk about what that means and um, what passwords have to do with letting people into your front door. So I had, um, I got a job and that's a whole long story, but I ended up getting a job, which I thought was my low point of life. Um, I'd tried to get a nice job in Hong Kong and I flew over to Hong Kong and I thought I'm going to be a billionaire by Monday and I got fired and I ended up getting drunk at a bar and being asked to be the doorman. Um, you know, I'm big and ugly. It was obviously what, you know, God created me to look like. So, you know, a doorman was a very easy thing for me. Um, and I remember the first few nights just, just being in fights and, you know, I know there are people, professional fighters, but no one wants to be in a fight. You know, you just don't, if you can avoid it and the older you get, you just don't want to do it. So I started realizing that it was because the other doorman were just letting anybody in. And when someone was walking towards you, if they've got a couple of drinks in them and they look as though they're being a bit loud, you just know that if you let them through that front door, you're going to be kicking them out in an hour's time. So you're creating your own headache. So as a doorman, I started with all the other doormen going, hey, let's control this front door. And we're controlling it not to let people in, but so we avoid kicking people out. We're avoiding the problems inside. And I got on really well as a doorman because I was creating um, – clubs that we were having no fights. I was controlling my front door to remove 99% of the problems once they were in. And that was the first thing I started doing. Then we started playing games by giving people passwords. That if they use this password, they could get beyond the velvet rope or they could get through the side door. They, could, they wouldn't have to wait in line. And we would make these passwords ridiculous. We, would make, we wouldn't make the password gold. You know, we'd make the, the password, you know, gold finger, you know, peanut butter. <laughs> we would make up something and your reaction, your little sniffle there, your little smirk was exactly the reason we did it. You see, if you walk into a door and enter someone's room, giggling, smiling, happy, then everyone inside constantly sees this positivity coming through the door. Now, if I said to you, Give me a hundred bucks. You can get through the door. You give me a hundred bucks. You walk in, you're trying to look all cool. Your face is all stern. But if I tell you, Hey, to get into the club tonight, you've got to name two characters from Sesame street. And you go, well, okay, mate. Um, big bird and snuffleupagus. And you go, <laughs> oh, in you go. 
And the reaction is what you are giving me now. So everyone that walked to the door, all of us, our clubs got known for being the most vibrant. And all we did it was by focusing on the little bits. Now, I started throwing private parties, taking over penthouses, mansions. And that's where the whole birth of my networking slash concierge came about. But I realized as I got older and now I start working with entrepreneurs in businesses. And we spoke earlier about the strangely dysfunctional, weird Joe Polish and the Genius (laughs) Network. But Joe does the exact same thing. He controls his front door. So it's not something that a doorman needs. It's something that every entrepreneur needs. Stop focusing on the invoice and the checkbook of the guy in front of you or the girl in front of you. Focus on what they're going to do once they're inside. Okay. Once you have a liability and a responsibility to look after them, are they going to be the arseholes and the pain that we're going to get kicked out of the club later on in any case? So control your front door and remove 99% of the problems once inside. And a simple filter by just trying to get inside that character. I know Jules does it a lot. She's very careful and specific about who she deals with. She interviews them. There's a process. But if they're not humble enough, and I used to have parties where people would walk up to the front door and they'd come up to me and they'd be like, I'm here for the party. Now, the whole party's going nuts behind me. There's a lineup of people trying to get in. And I would look at them and I'd be like, sorry, mate, I, I don't think there's a party here. And they'd be like, yeah, 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 it's it's there. I'm trying to get in. But because he wasn't humble and confident enough to play the game of just giving me a silly password, we would literally kick him away. Now, the the one thing is that would annoy him, but everyone behind loved it because we were standing our ground. And the next person would lean into me and name two of the Teletubbies or something, and I'd (laughs) let him in the party. And I remember we did this for one guy that was a little bit connected with the newspapers. And he actually got a newspaper uh, report on how rude we were because we wouldn't let him in without saying some stupid childish password. Now, you can imagine what that did. This was the best media we could have got. All of a sudden, (laughs) we had a ton of people going, hang on, you, you didn't let one of the richest people in Hong Kong in your party because they wouldn't say one of the Teletubbies? We want to be at your party. It did. It did. It's like someone saying, hey, I'm doing a dating app and I'm not going to allow any fat girls to be on it. They're only going to be swimwear models. You know, yes, there are going to be people that are going to moan, but how many guys you think are going to join up for that? So it really did well for us. It reminds me of The Greatest Showman. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's the scene where, yeah. where like he the, he gets this terrible write-up in the newspaper and they call it a circus. And he's like, I like that. Republish it. Discounts for anybody who brings in the newspaper. <laughs> just like leverage it. I love that. And also it just points to so many people love to solve problems and they focus on the high level. Like, let me just keep cutting heads off this hydro, but it keeps controlling. Whereas if you go a layer down, I think it's really a powerful visual for me, at least to think about any business as having a, a like that, red velvet like i don't know what you call that thing the thing that you clip into the you know letting yeah, the people velvet rope. yeah the velvet rope like it's just like you have that velvet rope inside of your business and you can solve 99 percent of the problems by just allowing the right people to come through so absolutely love all that and i want to kind of dive into a little bit of some of the blue fishing strategies that you talk about and i if i had to pick one i guess i'd start with this one because in the book you talk about how this thing will be the thing they write on my grave. If they don't, I'll come back and engrave it myself. So would you mind talking about if there's no passion, there's no point in what that means and what it has wow. to do with blue fishing? Yeah, I just, passion is one of those fuels that breeds 
commitment and ignorance in equal spats. Okay. When you're passionate about something, the idea that it could fail, the idea that it couldn't work goes away. And so when you're really kind of like chomped into something, and it was my wife that actually said that I was passionately ignorant. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound very nice, you know? And she explained that I just get really excited about something and then I go for it and I can't conceive at all that it can go wrong. And for that reason and for that solid commitment, it doesn't. And I've been amazed at a lot of the things that I've been able to pull off with some of the you know, Elon Musk, the Pope, just to name drop a few, that you go home and you go, how the bloody hell did a bricklayer from East London <laughs> end up doing that? And it's because you didn't overthink it. You see, one of the reasons I think that I am way more successful, way more impactful and way more powerful than maybe even a lot of people listening to this radio and here's where uh, this uh, uh, podcast, and this is where the arrogance kicks in, is because I'm stupider than you. Okay, a lot of people overthink how many people sit down and they want to release a product. And the first thing they do is they spend six to 12 months planning it to death and they build out a business plan and they build out this and they funnel and they click. Try it. If you're if you've got an idea of selling, I don't know, a new line of socks, then just go online and go, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Would this solve anyone's problem? You know, hey, I'm thinking of building. Have you ever had this issue? You know, and if no one responds, then there's no problem. There's no cure. There's no business. So it doesn't take a lot of time nowadays to do it. So I I have a good friend of mine, Jay Abraham. You probably know him. He's he's obviously ingenious as well. But a good friend of mine, he turned around. He said, "Um, I have a greater I can than an IQ. And he was one of the people that turned around and said, you know, you work, you work on passion alone. And that's why I came out with it. If there's no passion, there's no point. There's no fuel to you. But when you realize you've got something, you can do something, and you blindly, bullishly, with fuel, rocket fuel, go for it, it's amazing how many times you achieve it. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah, there's so many, so many things, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip because uh, I want to start leveraging a little bit of these insights and I want to give someone something that they can begin to do to start creating these blue fishing experiences for themselves because lots of people don't even really give themselves the full permission to actually go about doing these things. So one of the things I admire about you, Steve, is that you don't even, you don't even have to worry. About, you have the intended outcome, but you don't even have to worry about all the steps to really make it happen. You just start with like the easiest very first thing. And I think that that is very manageable for people. So what I would love to do in the time that we have remaining is to talk about one of your experiences. So uh, I'll I'll let you, there's a few of them we could talk about, but I would love for you to tell the story and then deconstruct the very first few steps that you took to actually just get you closer there. Because I think that that is something that anybody could start um, is first of all, giving yourself permission to allow yourself to do something like this and then to to start on the, on the first small step. So um, I'll give you two and I'll Mm -hmm. let you choose which one you think would be best, but uh, either the time that you were able to close out the academia and get somebody dinner in front of the David or watching formula one in Monaco with royalty were two experiences you created for people. So we'd love the story. And then the first few steps that you did to actually make it happen. So let's pick on the Florence one. I had a client of mine that wanted to show off to his future mother-in-law and father-in-law, and he wanted to give them a dining, big word here, experience in Florence. So the first thing that people do is they overcomplicate things. If I want to do something in Florence, I need to speak to someone that's in Florence. 
Okay. That's the first thing. Keep it stupid. And that's when the next step comes in. Okay. This is where the igniter, this is where the rocket fuel is. And you, you, I loved you. You said dare to give yourself permission. Okay. I'm writing a second book. It's not finished yet. So I don't know when the bloody thing's coming out. So I'm not plugging it, but I, I have the title on it. Go for stupid. And so I don't want you to go for the impossible. I don't want you to, you know, if you want to call it dreaming big, good, but I want to come up with an idea, a concept that is so ridiculous. You're going to laugh at it. That's what I want. I want to be up in the stratosphere of, of being mocked with my ambition. Cause when I'm mocked, that's, that's what I'm going to go for. And if I fail, I end up getting the ridiculous or the, the, the incredible or something like that. But the bottom line of it is I had to think to myself, if I'm going to create a dining experience in Florence, then where could I set it up that would only be achievable there that you could travel? If you were in Paris, you'd have to do something at the, uh, the Eiffel Tower. If you were in New York, you'd have to have the Statue of Liberty behind you. If you're in London, maybe Buckingham Palace. Every country has a location that can't be replicated anywhere else in the world. And in Florence, it's the only place that houses Michelangelo's David, the most iconic statue in the world. And I thought to myself, okay, the most stupid thing on the planet would be to have a dining experience at the feet of Michelangelo's David. Therefore, when you've done your selfie while you're chewing your pasta, you can only be in Florence with that picture. That can be the... So I went for it, and I started asking around, you know, who knows anyone? Again, keep it simple. Don't try to overplay. Who knows people that are in the academia? Who knows some of the board of directors? Who knew some of the big patrons, some of the big support? Does anyone know it? That's where your network comes in. You're, you're part of Genius Network. Everyone today needs a network. I can't be broke. And there's arrogance for you. I can lose all of my money, but as long as I've got my network, I can get it back. Okay? Your network is your net worth. It's been said, it's been cliched, it's been memed to death, but it couldn't be more accurate than it is today. So I literally went through my network. Who knows someone in, in Florence? Who knows someone? And I stumbled on a few people that did. And I said to them, I'm going for the stupid. This is my concept. This is my idea. And this is the key question. Never ask, can I do it? Can this happen? Will you let me? In? Never ask a question that you can get a yes or a no because you're rolling the dice on which way it goes. And if someone says no to you, you have to fight back to get to an even keel before you then get a positive affirmation. And people don't like to say yes once they've said no. They just don't like to do it. So you say things like, what needs to happen for me to be able to do this? You know, can you imagine if we could create this, what memories we would be able to tell our kids? Is that the kind of dream that we should be in? And therefore, how do we make it happen? They can't then turn around and go, no. Because they sound like an illiterate moron. They have to engage in a conversation. So I was asking people, what do I need to do to be able to have this happen? And so it went up the chain, went up the chain, went up the chain. And whenever you're dealing with anyone, try to understand What's going to make you want to work for me? What's going to make you want to make this happen? What's going to make you want this to be achieved? So think of their problems. 
Hey, how are the kids? The kids are great. Hey, are they still in the Justin Bieber? I'd love to get you backstage to meet Justin Bieber. Be like, oh, great. Now there's fuel for them to help you because it's going to help them look like that of the year. You know, all of those kind of things worked in. In the end, I actually found someone that knew the people and I was able to get a meeting at the academia. And I said to him, I'm going to tell you a story. And I've sent people down to the Titanic. I've sent people up to the edge of space. I've done the Guns and Roses. I've done Piano with Elton John. I've done the walk, the red carpet. I've been, you know, had clients on the catwalk. I've done all these amazing, wonderful things. But I'm not sure anything's going to compare to the idea that I bring forward to you today. So I got them to buy into my vision, my dream, my passion, my commitment. And I knew they were having a gala later on that year to repair the roof. I had done my homework. It's called Google, for Christ's sake. Google things, Google people, and you can find out a love, a passion, a need, a pain. And I found out that the academia, every five years or something like that, would have the gala. The gala was coming up. And I said to them, hey, you've got a gala coming up in about nine months, haven't you? And they went, yes, we have. What is that for? They went, well, you know, these roofs and museums, they've got to be, you know, protected against fire, rain and, and damp and humidity because of the artwork. Went, wow, that's not a normal roof, is it? And they were like, no, 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 it's different layers. Of stuff. I said, how much is that going to cost? And they told me how much it costs. And I said to them, how would it be if before you've even printed a flyer for your gala in nine months time, that I actually enabled you to hit a quarter of your goal? <laughs> in one <Fuck>. single <laughs> that is so that is dirty that i just want to pull that out for everyone it's like you could you could offer them money or you could pay for their fucking roof <laughs> there's a big difference and one thing puts a picture in their mind that brings them way closer to where they need to go and the other one is just another thing that they just stick in the bank account that they sell tickets for that was brilliant i didn't want to interrupt you but that that is so cool <laughs> i try not to give anyone money if someone does something for me and I, I mentioned the Justin Bieber thing. If someone does something like th there's all these affiliate programs out there. Have you noticed where the affiliates, yes, they're making money, but they want to win the car or they want to win the mm. trip. Try and give someone an experience. If I said to you, hey, thanks for this podcast. You know, I landed 20 clients and, you know, I've now made a million bucks out of doing your podcast. Here's five grand. You know, now I'm pretty sure that you would turn around and go, thank you. You've just got five grand's worth of cash. It's in your hand. And you're like, oh, brilliant. Cheers. And if I then went back to you like in two months time and go, hey, you know, I'm, I, it was great to chat with. What did you do with the five grand? Now, the chances are you probably put it in the bank account, maybe, you know, went on holiday or, you know, it paid a couple of bills or paid the rent or, you know, a friend of yours had trouble with a car. So he had to help him out with that. It just goes. Money just goes. But if I turned around and I said, hey, thank you so much for what you did for me. And I'm making up. We don't know each other that well. But, you know, I turned around and said, hey, I'm sending you and your partner away to this resort that I absolutely love. Don't worry about it. It's all been paid. First class tickets. And you're there for two weeks. Unplug, reset, plan the next six months of your life from your balcony overlooking the, the, the way of watching. And I gave you that experience. Now. That may have cost the same amount of money. It may have cost less. In fact, funny enough, it quite often does. But you've now got an experience.
And the next time I th- go, hey, do you want to do You're now thinking, hey, I was whale watching or my parents went and did this and they think I'm a great son because of it. You know, all of those kind of things. You're now giving someone an emotion and, a, and an experience. So that's the way I worked on it. I found out what they needed. Now, a board of directors, you can't give each one of them a present, but combined, they were fighting to solve a problem. And that problem happened to be the roof. And I was able to meet a quarter of that budget within one event. Now, here's the thing. Once I asked them, would that be of interest to you? Again, you're happy to ask a question. You can get a yes or no when it's solving someone's pain. If I come up to you and I go, hey, would you like me to half your mortgage without it costing you anything else? Yes or no? You're going to go, yes. It's a very comfortable one for me to be able to put myself in that liability. So when they said yes, I went, great. This is what I want to do. Now they know, okay, we need this to happen for him in order for that to happen for us. And that's the way it worked. I, I was able to get the Academia de Galleria uh, by, by negotiating to cure their problem. I set up a meal, charged the client very heavily, and they had dinner at the feet of Michelangelo's David. And then I thought to myself, how can I make this even more ridiculous? How can I make it just, just in a different stratosphere of stupidity? And I managed to get Andrea Bocelli to come in and serenade him while they were eating their pasta. Mm. That's so, so cool. And I would love to dive a little bit more into it, but I, I did. Um, so I'll, I'll end on this because I know you got to go a little bit here just so we can get you off um, to your, your next event here. But in preparation for this, I, I texted your son, Henry, and I, I just for fun, I said, what is the number one most powerful lesson you've learned from your dad from the ages of zero to 12? Do you have any idea what he answered, Steve? No, and I don't think I've ever felt as more uncomfortable as I am now. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. I thought this is beautiful. And you, you already said it. You already said it. Um, but he said um, that as a kid, when he watched you and all your incredible entrepreneurial endeavors, he always wondered to himself why he would opt into a life of all the ups and downs and all the craziness. But the thing that he said that was most powerful from you is that you told him that as an entrepreneur, you can lose it all, but it's just as risky to be an employee and you don't have much control either. So that the number one skill set that you encourage him to have is that if you lost, if you lose it all, know how to make money and serve other people because you can always build up from there. So um, that that was something that I thought was absolutely brilliant and uh, just wanted to, to let you know that Henry's awesome and I, I enjoyed talking to him and that was a really cool thing for him to say as well. I appreciate it. I know I've got a shout out to your audience because I put you on the spot and I apologize for doing it. I knew this was going to be a longer podcast, um, but we had something pop up that I had to jump into. So I gave you my commitment at the beginning and my commitment's still there that if you want to do a part two for the full time without being interrupted, that I will happily book it up and return. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to that. And I'll just toss in some teasers then because I have I have 24 pages of notes here. And I knew uh, this wow. wasn't even real. This wasn't even realistic for a, a full thing. But like <laughs> there's I would highly with a million more highlies encourage anybody to go check out Steve's book, Bluefish, um, The Art of Making Things Happen, if I got the subtitle 100% accurate. But man, if you want to break through the, the limiting beliefs that you have that that may be holding you back from the next level do one of these blue fishing things for yourself and you will absolutely see this so um steve you've given me so much permission to ask for more and this has been so cool and i am excited for part two where we can unlock more so um i i usually don't like to ask till the very end but where can people find out more about all the stuff that you have going on so that they can get into your world 
Oh, it's easy. If you're in the US, you can text the word SIMS, S-I-M-S, to 33777. Or you can just visit Steve D. Sims. That's S-I-M-S dot com. Steve D. Sims dot com to find out basically what I'm getting up to. But I'm the same Steve D. Sims, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram. So I'm easy to find. Yeah. Okay. To be continued. And uh, I'll put in some hooks. We're going to be talking about uh, why Steve sent people to a brothel after taking them through a tour (laughs) at the, at the Tesla museum. We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, some of these James Bond experiences and, and why he sent half of a Porsche magazine to a client uh, that was ripped up. All these things are are to be continued. So be ready for, be ready for part two. So Steve, I appreciate your time today and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation, my friend. See you soon. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show, and if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.